So I do want to welcome everybody in our global online family. Man, uh, if I haven't had the chance to meet you digitally, I'm Russ. I'm on the team here. And uh, to everybody in the room, especially anybody that is here for the first time, to every first-time guest, I personally want to introduce myself. I'd love to meet you afterwards. And we are wrapping up the last week of our stimulus series and if you've not, if you've missed any of the weeks, if you were gone last week, I know the weather's crazy, which by the way, is it, was it five degrees outside? Everybody knows that's Satan's work, right? Like that is Satan's work. But I heard rumors it's going to be up to 50 degrees this week. Is that true? Can somebody give God just praise for that? <laughs> and so it's going to be a fun day in church today, but we're wrapping up the series. If you've missed it, We've been in a series called Stimulus, which is all about how do we take back control of our lives through taking back control of our finances. We, one of the things that we talk about all the time is that our hearts as a staff and as a church is we want everything for you. Our, our goal, our MO is not to get things from you. And what we do every December is do survey cards to find out what is it that's on your heart? What is it that's keeping you up at night? And the number one thing from survey cards was, this may not surprise you, but money. Anybody, I won't have you raise your hands, but maybe that's kept you up at night. And you'd be surprised how many times, if you're new to faith, that Jesus and the scriptures deal with this topic of money because it's connected to our hearts and because God knows how much it affects our lives. And so I want to encourage you to go back and watch any of the weeks you missed. But week one, we laid the foundation, and we're just going to do extra recap for extra credit points in heaven for you. Are you ready? Week one, we learned that God is the owner. Why don't we just say that out loud? God is the owner. <laughs> I don't sound too excited about it. God is the owner. Can we say that together one more time like you mean it? God is the owner. I don't hear you online, wherever you are, in your room. Wake your kids up and just yell it. I'm just kidding. Don't yell it. But God is the owner. I am the manager. We found out that this is a stewardship thing. And I really do hope, um, I said this last experience, I haven't said this in a while, but I really do still believe that note takers are history makers. And I want to encourage you to take notes so that it can affect you. It was really cool. I don't know that this has anything to do with anything, but somebody told me after the 9.30 last uh, um, last experience that there was a, a thought from this talk. They said, I'm going to go home and get that tattooed. I don't know if that's the goal, but I just thought it was cool and you don't care, but I wanted to tell you anyways. But I hope that you take notes because those notes could impact you next week and that next month when you need it most that you don't even realize. I, I look at it as uh, to-go boxes that you take home and eat during the week, that you have your own devotional life. But one of the things that's still in my to-go box from week one, Pastor Tim, that honestly made me angry because it's been challenging me for three weeks now, I can't get it out of my head, is how I manage today determines how I live tomorrow. Anybody still chewing on that thought? How I manage today determines how I live tomorrow, that God's the owner, I'm the steward. We found out in week two that order matters. The way you order everything, the way you begin your day, the way you begin your week, the way you begin your relationships, what you put first, what you prioritize, and what you put first in your finances will order and determine the kind of blessing that you live in or don't live in. And we found out that the first part of that order is to put God first. Everybody say, put God first. And then we found out last week, if you, again, if you missed it, phenomenal message by a phenomenal communicator. It was amazing. Everybody's going to watch online later. It's like, wait, that arrogant, cocky? And by the way, I always say this in case you're new, that um, you are stuck with me uh, for a second week in a row. But come back because next week to kick off the new series, our lead pastor, Pastor Tim, no one like him, is going to be kicking us off. But we learned last week, you don't have to clap too loud about that. That's fine. But... <laughs> Pastor Tim's laughing. Okay, enough's enough. 
But we found out last week, we, we really broke down in the practical last week. We found out that most of the world lives out of an upside down triangle of financial order, which is I live, do everything I want to do, and then if there's a little bit left over, I try to save, and then if there's a little bit left over, I try to give. And we found out that the gospel inverts that whole triangle upside down on its head, and that the first thing we do is give, the second thing we do is save. It says in Proverbs 21 that in the house of the wise are stored choices of food and oil, but the fool devours all that they have. We learned that saving is spiritual giving is spiritual, and then we live off the rest. And we broke down further into how to have savings, how to have an emergency fund, how to pay off debt. So go back and check that out. But today, if it's okay, is going to be the literal opposite of last week. And not just in the fact that I'm going to try to be a little briefer. (laughs) But today, if it's okay with you, as we kind of put a bow on the end of this series, I think probably more than any time I've ever spoken here, if it's all right, I just want to share with you my heart of what I feel like God's been speaking to me this past week. If you're new to faith, that language might sound odd, like God speaks, but I really believe God still speaks, that he's still real. He's not, we're not just part of some distant religion, but we serve a living, active creator, faithful savior, personal God, and that he speaks. And I wouldn't be alive if it wasn't for the voice of God. I definitely wouldn't be in ministry if I didn't believe God still spoke. And I just want to tell you, whether you're brand new to church, brand new to faith, wherever you're at in your faith journey, I believe God wants us to speak directly to where you are, whatever living room, home, car you're watching from, and everyone in the room, God wants to speak today. It will open up our hearts and our lives. And before we jump into this passage, First Kings, that's just been Speaking to me, I want to read a a verse from Isaiah 48, and it's going to be on the screen. You don't have to turn there if you don't have your Bible with you, but Isaiah 48 says this. This is what the Lord says, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. I am the Lord your God who teaches you what is good for you. Anybody thankful for that? Anybody just need God to show you the right path in this season? No one? I do. I need God every day to show me the right way. To go, I'm, I'm the God that teaches you. I want to teach you. God loves you. He says, and leads you along the paths that you should follow. And then listen to God's heart. In case you, you grew up in a kind of faith background where you just think God's just waiting to punish you. This is the heart of God. He says, oh, that you would have listened to my commands. Then you would have had peace flowing. Everybody say flowing. That's, that's, that's the concept we're going to look at today. Say flowing. Then you would have had peace flowing like a gentle river and righteousness rolling over you like waves in the sea. Today, the thought is this. Many in this room, you feel really, really stuck. But God wants you to know there is a flow that he has for you. And that God wants you to step into the flow. He wants you to step into the flow of, God, of his peace, of his joy, and of his blessing today. Anybody could use some of that. Anybody ready to get unstuck and to step into a flow of God's provision, God's joy, and God's peace. I'm going to pray. And can I just encourage you when I pray Probably the biggest thing that happens in these moments, just in case you're wondering, is not even as much what I say, but the heart that receives. And can I just encourage you to open up your heart and just say, maybe just inside, God, speak. I'm opening up my mind, my heart to you to receive today. So God, I thank you that your presence is here. God, I thank you that you are flowing in this room. I sense your presence in worship, and I believe you're speaking right now, and that you're going to speak. More important than my words are going to be your words today. And we all just say, speak, because we're listening. And do in us what only you can do. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Amen. One more time, I want you to picture the aerobics moment. (laughs) Me? No. I rebuke that. I'm fascinated by the concept of flow. 
fascinated by it. I'm fascinated by, I, I'm, I kind of have an addictive, obsessive personality, like I'll really get into things and explore and study and analyze. And, and so I, I really am fascinated by flow. I'm fascinated by really the fact that in the universe and in life, everything depends on flow. Have you ever thought about that? Like everything depends on flow. The, for me to keep standing here and not die depends on the blood to keep flowing through my body. The oxygen to keep flowing through my lungs. Everything depends on flow. It, the, the tide and the moon, oceans flow, rivers flow, uh, the solar system. Everything depends. The, the fact that our, our planet doesn't just go careening into the unknown universe is because there's a rotation of planets and, and we're in a solar system and, and we're in a galaxy and there, there's flow. There, there's flow to everything. There's a flow to the ecosystem to where everything feeds off each other. There's, uh, I was reading uh, this earlier this week. I know this sounds really weird, but uh, Albert Einstein supposedly said that if bees, just bees, just buzzing bees were to become extinct within four years, mankind would cease to exist. Isn't that crazy? I can tell y'all don't care, but I thought it was fascinating. But, but there's a flow to everything. And so I broke this down. Like, I think about the practical. I think about in my own life what it's like to get into a flow. Have you ever analyzed, like, your work life or if you're a student, your school life, when it is that you feel like you're in a flow? You know, like, you, you ever in life just felt like maybe, maybe a good word is momentum? You ever been in a season of momentum in your life where you're just like, the wind is at my back and nothing can stop me and I'm invincible? There's a lot of defeated people in this room. No one is responding. I just happen to pray for you. But anybody? All right, okay, uh, too late. But, um, but, I, but I think about this. I think about, like, I read this book five or six years ago called One Thing by Gary Keller, this leadership guru that talks about the, the greatest, most successful financial heroes, athletes, people in the world. They have this power of focus. They, they focus on one thing, and so they get in a flow. They, there's like one main mission in their life, kind of like what Paul said, this one thing I do. In, in a year, there's this one big goal. In a week, here's the one thing I'm going to do to move forward. And in a day, he, he encouraged you, if you can at all possible, the first morning part of your day to have four hours of just call it the one thing so I, I try this a couple times a week I'll just have a morning where I'll have here's the one thing I'm doing because I know if I can get into a flow anybody experience the success that comes when you get into a flow in any area of your life I, I've been experiencing this with running I know I'm a crazy person but I'm from the south and listen to me five degrees is never God's intention that is evidence of the fall so if you don't believe in God let me tell you something just step outside for five degrees in a t-shirt in Ohio and you will know that mankind screwed up there is a God and there is a devil so this year I just got angry <laughs> and I said I'm gonna attack it how am I gonna attack it I'm gonna start running in the cold I always thought those people were nuts but I was like I'm gonna do it this is like my way to fight back so uh, a few weeks ago I started putting on a hoodie and just running in the cold two weeks ago I can't it was an incredible uh Sunday but I just I walked away had a lot on my mind so I drove to Scioto Mile and it was 18 degrees I put on a hoodie and I started running Ran for an hour. I'm crazy, I know. But here's what I've fallen in love with is about eight minutes in, feeling will return to my fingertips and, and to my ears, and the blood finally starts flowing. And then if you're a runner, I'm not a big runner, but I love this idea that about 20, 30 minutes in, that runner's flow comes. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And so I've just become obsessed with this concept of what does it look like to flow in my life. And, and the truth is, when flow stops, things break. 
You ever notice that? Like I talked about rivers flowing. Maybe Scott Spencer's in here. He remembers when me and him were on a canoe in the middle of the river and we ran into a branch and our canoe flipped and we got lost and almost drowned in the river and my iPhone got destroyed. That was a really bad moment where flow stopped. Anybody that's been around this place for a while, if you were in our old offices back in the River Valley Mall, it was pretty much a, a cornfield maze of gray walls and no whisper of signage. And I would get lost because I'm really bad with directions. And the staff, Pastor Zach was telling Brian, my friend that's here, by the way, from Georgia, shout out to Brian, last night that when I first got here, they would play a prank on me. How cruel is this? When I would step out of a meeting, they would turn off the lights and duck under the table and watch me walk in circles around the conference room. Janice, I do not love how hard you laugh. i tell you what was even worse was the stage in Lithopolis. Yeah. How many remember the first time I preached here where there was zero flow of how to go off the platform? So I wandered aimlessly. I gave this big, so if you want to receive Jesus right now is your moment. Right now is your time. In Jesus' name, amen. And then I walked in circles around. Finally, I thought I saw a door behind the, the drum cage, and there wasn't one. So I just stood there like this. <laughs> like it was on purpose. <laughs> Come on, so. Do you know God has a flow? Do you know that? Like, did you know God has a flow? He wants you, if God has a flow for the solar system and the universe and for your blood and for your oxygen and supposed to be for stages and offices, God has a flow for your life that he wants you to step into. Did you, did you know forgiveness is a flow? Paul said, forgive others as God and Christ has forgiven you. If, you if, if the spiritual nerves of your spiritual life have grown dull and you haven't felt God's presence in a while, could it be possible that you've blocked the flow because you didn't give what you freely received? Joy is supposed to be a flow. Peace is supposed to be a flow. Serving is supposed to be a flow. See, some people in their spiritual life, they usually fall into one of two ditches. They serve, serve, serve humanitarian, but they never get in God's presence to receive every day. They don't have anything. You, you do know that you burn out when you give away what you don't have. You can't give away what you don't have. And so some people never receive. They never get in God's word every day. They don't get in God's presence every day. So they have nothing to receive. And then other people just come in with a consumerist mindset, feed me, feed me, feed me. I'm going to sit in church, feed me, feed me, feed me. But there's no outflow. They never actually give away what they have. They never actually pour their cup into somebody else's cup. They don't tithe. They don't give. They don't serve. They don't actually, they become like the Dead Sea where there's an inflow but no output. And so things become dead. See, where there's a flow, there's life, and God has a flow for me and you. And there's a character in Scripture that, to me, he represents what it's like to flow with God more than anybody else. His name's Elijah. He's, he's my favorite, besides Caleb and Jesus, he's my favorite Scripture in all the Bible. He is a rock star, ill-mannered, sarcastic, bold prophet from the Old Testament. And in the Old Testament especially, prophets, they, they, you may just think fortune-telling, but their main thing wasn't just to, to speak towards the future, but to call the people of God back to the heart of God. They, they, they love this word repent, to turn and get back into the flow of God's way, get back into the flow of God's things. And so God raised up this man named Elijah during the worst moment in the Old Testament of the nation of Israel. They had fallen so deep into moral bankruptcy, so deep into spiritual degeneration, that he raises up this fiery man named Elijah. And I want to read his story, 1 Kings 17. This is the first mention of Elijah, and it says this. It says, now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe and Gilead, that's not a mosquito, that's just like saying Elijah the Ohioan from Ohio. That's all he's saying. And Gilead said to Ahab, 
as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Now, can, I'm not going to stop after every verse, but can I just give a sidebar real quick? Um, when it says that Elijah prayed earnestly and it didn't rain, what I love is several thousand years later, the half-brother of Jesus would write a book uh, to his church, and he would say this. He would say, and the earnest prayer of a righteous man accomplishes a lot, and Elijah, who had a nature just like you, prayed earnestly that it wouldn't rain, and it didn't rain. In other words, if you're anything like me, sometimes I need to put some spiritual adrenaline in my devotional life by reminding myself that the same God Elijah prayed to is the same God I prayed to. You know, we just came out of a series called Move where we said that when we pray, God moves, and when God moves, things move. Maybe you need to remind yourself when you see the miracles of Elijah, the miracles of Moses, the miracles of all these men and women of Scripture, that they don't pray to a different God than you do, and actually because of Jesus, you have even more direct access. And so it says he prayed, and he confronted Ahab. God told him Ahab was an evil king, one of the most evil kings Israel ever had. He had a wife named Jezebel. You've never heard anybody named Jezebel. There's a reason for that. Because his wife was even more wicked than, than he was. So God has Elijah confront him and say, it's not going to rain. There's going to be a drought. And then in verse 2 it says this. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, leave here, turn eastward, and hide in the Kareth Ravine east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook, and I have directed the ravens to supply you with food there. So he did what the Lord had told him. Can we just say that together? So he did what the Lord had told him. He went to the Kareth Ravine, east of the Jordan, and stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the brook. So God has Elijah confront the prophet. Or God has Elijah confront the evil king and tell him, look, there's going to be a drought at my word and nothing's going to happen. And then, uh, <laughs> you ever obeyed God and your obedience to God impacted you in a negative way? <laughs> so... <laughs> He obeyed God to declare that there's going to be a drought, but then the drought affects him. So then God tells him, I want you to go down to the brook Hereth, and there I'm going to direct the ravens to feed you. Now, here's the thing about this message. I think maybe more than any other message I've ever preached is this message has been just messing me up all week long. There's not pretty points from this message. I, I want to say again, I, I just... My prayer is that the same thing God's been exploding in my heart will explode in your heart. And part one of that was when I was in Denver this past summer and I was reading through this message. And to be honest, I just got emotional as I'm reading about how beautifully and tenderly that God cared for Elijah, sent him to a brook and fed him and gave him water and food. And I just felt God speak to my heart in a very discouraged area and say, Russ, if I use something as unusual and unclean as a raven to get Elijah where he needed in the middle of nowhere, what makes you think that I don't know exactly where you are and exactly what you need and that I can't get you everything I need to get you? You receive that? And why would God not use a dove? That would have been more spiritual. That would have been more clean. That would have been, but God will use things you wouldn't even imagine he'll use to get you everything that you need. God can direct the ravens anywhere. Somebody say, God, send the ravens. Come on. Spiritually, emotionally, relationally, financially, God, I need you to send the ravens today. And there is a faith perspective that you step into that does something for your confidence when you realize, man, I don't depend on anybody but God. God can send the ravens anywhere. You know what I really believed? 
I'm just, I know you're usually supposed to wait till the end of a message to really start preaching, but I just can't help it. I'm going to get excited. And you're just going to have to deal with it. You can lock the doors because you're the second experience, so you won't get out for a few hours. So you're all right, though? <laughs> I feel like God wanted me to tell somebody, I see you where you are. You think no one sees you. David in the middle of a field tending sheep. Your father picks all the other brothers over you and the prophet in the Old Testament wants to anoint you king and you don't think anybody sees you. You don't think anybody sees day after day you just being faithful. Day after day you just being consistent. You don't think anybody sees your time alone with me in the fields when no one else is watching and your own father overlooks you and rejects you. I bet there's people in this room, you have felt undervalued and overlooked by your own parents. But God says, David, I see you. And you don't need anybody to market you when I put my hand on you. And I will raise you up. I'll find you in the middle of nowhere and get you everything that you need. Young Joseph who has a dream when you're a teenager and then everything goes to hell and you're in a pit and a prison. He says to Joseph who feels forgotten and so alone and so lonely, Joseph, I see you. God says to the single mother in this room that you're like, no one could possibly understand at the end of a day just how exhausted I am and just how mentally stressed out I am and weary I am in my mind. Single father, same thing. No one could possibly understand. When will this cycle end? When will I catch a break? Does anyone even see? Does anyone even care when I fed them the ninth grilled cheese and ham sandwich and no one cares and no one knows and I don't know where my next provision is going to come from and I don't know when I'm going to feel happy again or joyful again. God says, I see you. And I see everything that you don't think anybody else sees. There's young people in this room, high schoolers, college-age students, that you think, is it even worth it that I'm not compromising like everybody around me? When everybody else is giving in and I'm alone in my room sometimes at night and I feel like I'm the, the left out and I feel like I'm the one that's not fitting in because I actually have a relationship with God, God wants you to know I see that young man. I see that young lady. And we're in a culture that strives to manipulate and posture and promote. But I also want to speak to somebody, I love what Christine Kane says, I would rather be marked by God than marketed by man any day of the week. And God wants you to know I see you. It's Naomi, right? He's the, he's the God that sees me. Someone say, God sees me. God says, hey, I, I would write this down if I were you. God can use anything or anyone from anywhere to get me everything I need. That ought to get somebody through the next year. That's where Pastor Zach in the aerobics outfit should just start doing laps right around. <laughs> you love me? I love you too, Pastor Zach. God can use anyone or anything from anywhere to get me everything I need. You ought to write that on your fridge until you believe it. Speak it every day. God can use anything. I, I remember, never forget when, I've, this is another story I've told before a few years ago, but when, when I was in, Lexington, I had just moved there as part of a church plant, a young, broke, college kid. And Matt, do you, do you understand that? You know what that's like, huh? And I remember I was just like, I, but I'd started over the last few years putting God first, and I wasn't perfect by a long shot, but I had a Jeep Grand Cherokee that was starting to wear out, especially in the snow of Kentucky. I had just moved from Greenville, and finally I had a day off. I was working in retail. This is before I was working at a church, and I, I said, God, you are supposedly my father and my provider. I need you to show up. This Jeep is not going to last much longer. And I called a buddy that I'd met at the church that had just given his life to Jesus who worked at a, at a car dealership, and I said, all right, we, we, we got to talk. And, and he said, oh, just, just bring your Jeep in. We'll, we'll check it out. 
I brought it in, and, and he introduced me to uh, this, this nice young man who introduced himself, said, hey, let's go for a ride. And can I just be honest? I'm not a car guy. Does that mean, yep. You shouldn't assume that, but I'm just, I'm letting you know to surprise you that I'm not a car guy. And I don't understand the Tolkien languages of car mechanics and, you know, and, um, <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, and so we went on a ride, and he just started saying, yeah, I think, I think the brake pads, the originators are kind of, uh, cranky, rusty with the, the car, but it's, I'm pretty sure he said something about castrating a carbonara or something. And um, we're, we're riding down the road, and, um, and, he, and finally, we, when we park, he says, Look, you need your brake pads replaced. I remember that part. I was like, Finally, it's not Italian. And he said, And, he said, and I don't know why I feel this, but I know what it's like to, to be young and broke. He said, I, I got you covered. I'm going to cover your, your brakes. And I remember I prayed that morning, God, I've tried to be faithful. Please provide. So I was like, Thank you, Jesus. You know, I'm like, and I, I, you know, you'd have to do the whole thing. Oh, you don't need to do that. But inside, you're already celebrating. Like, thank you, God. You know, it would have been bad if he'd be like, "All right, fine." Like, no, no, no. But it's okay if you know. Um, <laughs> so, but then he said, "But, but the real thing is, there's still something wrong with your engine, and you're going to need to go across uh, the lot and get that checked out." And to be honest, that's where it's going to cost you. And I was like, "Oh, crap." Um, and so I was whispering a prayer as I was riding down the road, and as I'm driving, a car comes by, rolls down the window. And it's this just jolly, just happy guy that had just given his life to Jesus. I just baptized him a few weeks ago. And he said, Pastor Ross, what are you doing here? I said, I think the carbonara is castrated and we've got to get it fixed. And he said, um, <laughs> he said, he said, I don't know what that means, but um, whatever you find out, come back and tell me and, and, and uh, let me know. I said, okay. They ended up telling me it would be an $800 repair, Jeff, on my engine. And I just wanted to cry. And then I remembered that this guy told me to talk to him. So I talked to him. He said, how much is it? I said, $800. He said, I got it covered. That's when I probably almost did cry. And I was like, no, you don't have to. He looked at me. This is what he said. He, and he said, I've already said, don't block a blessing, brother, or I'll block you. I said, well, graciously received. You know, I, um, and uh so he paid for it. I come back the next day, and this is where it gets really good. He, he starts yelling, and he goes, Pastor Russ, get in the car. I think I'm about to get kidnapped, killed, body left in the woods. He, he said, no, get in the car. I got to talk to you. So we get in the car. We drive away. And before God, this is what he says. He says, Pastor Russ, I hadn't sold a car in weeks, maybe months, he said. But when I saw you walking across the lot, God spoke to my heart and said, go take care of that young man. He said, and then... Right after that, I sold a car and then another one this morning. And he starts shouting. That's when I finally started shouting. I said, let's shout together. And I know not every story wraps up like that, but I want to remind somebody, God can use the ravens to get you anything you need, anywhere you need it. And if you follow Jesus long enough, you know there's, there's, there's a faithfulness that comes with God. But there's also a caveat too. Because while I know that was all grace, I also know I've done my best to try to be faithful in putting God first. And I just got to point this out from the story, that even though the provision came to Elijah, the provision was waiting in Kareth where God told Elijah to go. And I just have to point this out. It's not a, fan, it's not a popular word, really, to talk about, obedience. But if you think it doesn't matter, if you think that's legalistic talk, I just want to challenge every parent to go home and tell your kids that obedience no longer matters. That was good. That was good. You received that, Bryce, as I received that. I just want to tell somebody that obedience 
is what unlocks the door to the greatest blessings in your life. And that God may be my best friend and my savior, but he's also my Lord and my father. And we don't talk about it a lot, but I can just tell you, Elijah, since he's one of my favorites, there's this old prophet preacher that maybe the old school people in the room will remember, Leonard Ravenhill, and he talks a lot about Elijah, and he talks about a lot about the power of Elijah, and Leonard Ravenhill is just this anointed, just pastor, power of God on his life, and he always said the key to Elijah's life was simple, it was obedience. When God said go, he went. When God said speak, he spoke. And when Ravenhill was 90 years old, a student would travel across states to find him and say, Leonard Ravenhill, what was the secret to your life? And they said he was 90 years old in a wheelchair, but when he looked up, there was still fire in his eyes. And he said he gave one simple response to this student that traveled weeks and months to get this fancy theological answer. He said, obey, obey, obey. That is the key to obedience, faithfulness, surrender. See, Elijah, next chapter, calls down fire from heaven. And we love that, don't we? Don't we love the idea of just calling down fire on all of our enemies? See, fire is sexy, but faithfulness isn't. But can I just say something to write over your marriage, job, spiritual walk? No faithfulness, no fire. You want the flow to come back into your life? Turn to your neighbor and say, don't stop the flow. Can I, can I, here's, here's a thought to write down. Um, flow follows faithfulness. Flow follows faith. You receive that? This is not a legalistic thing. In fact, the end of 1 John says this. It says God's commands are not burdensome. God's commands are joyful. They're delightful. Uh, Princess Bride, you've seen it. It's one of your favorites. You, you named your son after Wesley. Anybody seen Princess Bride? Remember when he's rolling down the hill? What's he yelling? As, say it, as you wish. See, the life of, a, of someone who's falling in love with Jesus is not a begrudging, oh my gosh, I need to obey better. No, it's I've fallen so in love with God, he's so captured my heart. How can I just give him everything I've got because I've fallen so in love with him that his wishes have become my desires. Not saying there's not a moment of sacrifice, but obedience is what unlocks that door. Is this helping anybody? Are you okay? I would write this down. Often provision is waiting on the other side of obedience. It's waiting on the other side. The blessing is waiting on the other side of you doing the last thing God told you to do. The last thing God spoke for you to do. But then verse 7, here's where I'm going to camp out for a moment. And here's the part. If, if you promise not to judge me or make fun of me, this is the part. When I read this verse last Saturday, I just wept. I wept over, as weird as it sounds, the people I knew would be in this room. I wept over just parts of my life, because after he obeyed God and the provision was there, we read this verse that I think probably sums up the way a lot of people feel today. It says, sometime later, the brook dried up. The brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Anybody have any brooks that have dried up? Anybody just feel that pain as we talk about it? Anybody been stuck in a season? Anybody been stuck in a moment and you can't get out of it like that? Should I join the worship team? Is that good? But seriously, anybody in the room know what it's like when the brook dries up? And let's just be honest, like, isn't there a frustration that can even come in with God? I mean, God told him to go to the brook Kareth. 
You, you ever been there? God, I thought you were the one that told me to go here. I thought you were the one that called me. I thought you were the one that said I should do this. And now look, it's dried up. You ever been there? You ever been to the place where the person, the thing, the pattern, the, the place, the you ever, you ever been to the place where the place you used to go no longer flows? Where the thing that God used to feed you in one season dries up? Like, what do you do in that moment? What do you do? And maybe, I mean, maybe this is just therapy for me, but I just felt like God, like, took me by the hand and just showed me that, Russ, it could be that there's a potential in your life that, Weeks, months, sometimes maybe even years after a brook has dried up, instead of trusting me for what's next or following me in what's next or obeying me in what's next, you are still stuck staring at the muddy spot where water used to flow, where the blessing used to be, cursing the water that's no longer there and grieving over what was there and trying desperately at times to grasp for drops of water that are still there and grieving over what's long gone. You ever been there? You ever been where the prophet was when God finally rejected Saul? And there's a, and there's a healthy place of grieving, right? But eventually, you know what God spoke to the prophet? He said, how long will you grieve over what I've rejected? Like, what do you do when the brook dries up? What, what do you do when the brook dries up? I wrote down a few things. If they help, I, I wrote down this just to encourage my soul. God is my only constant. I wrote this down. God dried up Elijah's earthly resource to remind him of his true heavenly source. I wrote this down. You trust you trust in the giver of the gift. You trust in the supplier of the supply. You trust by following through with the last thing he told you to do. See, here's the thing. There's a tendency in my life, maybe it's because I'm sentimental, maybe it's because I'm nostalgic, maybe because I don't have great faith like some of you do, but I have a tendency to get more attached to the resource God uses in one season than to the source that will provide in every season. And here's what I felt like God speak to me last Saturday. Russ, you tend to get stuck where you haven't surrendered. Maybe you want to write this down. Often I'm stuck where I haven't surrendered. I'm, I'm just trusting that the silence is because it's hitting your heart the way it hit my heart when God spoke to me last week. But and then what do you, if you're, if you're like me, then you ask the question, so what do I do to surrender? You ever thought that? Like surrender sounds like such a great, do I just grit my teeth? Surrender. <laughs> I release. And here's what I felt God encouraged my heart with. In every area of your life, Russ, is what I felt just, in, in, just inside. It may sound weird. I just felt like the Holy Spirit speak to my heart. Russ, in every area of your life, you can only surrender to the level that you trust I'm your source. I'm telling you, that's a word for somebody today. And if you knew, you would be shouting and running. <laughs> I don't. But I'm telling you, that's a word to get you through the next week, the next month, the next year. In every area that I come to trust and realize that God's my source, I can then surrender. And then when I surrender, I get unstuck. I'll, I'll clap, I'll clap. I'm telling you, 
the, the level to which you trust that God's your source is going to free you up to hold with looser hands whatever resource he uses in one season. Because you know the same God that called me there and used ravens can use whatever he wants in whatever season to get me every single thing that I need because that's not my source. God is my source. In fact, why don't you just turn to the person beside you, tell your best friend, your spouse, whoever's beside you, look him right in the eye. Do it. Look him right in the eye. Say, I, you're pretty awesome. But you're not my source. Get sassy about it. Tell the other person beside you, say, you are awesome, but you're not my source. Say it with some defiance. God is my source. I'm telling you, I know that's elementary, but you get that in your heart, fear will melt. Anxiety will dissipate. You will stop grasping onto every little thing you think you need and hold with looser hands life and everything in life because you don't need anybody. You, 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 God wired us to coexist and to help each other, but at the end of the day, God just uses each other as a resource, and he is the actual fountain of living water. He is our source. Say, God's my source. I, I, I'll never forget... When I first got, gave my life to Jesus a couple years later, I'm just, I was so hungry for an encounter with God. And I went to one of these youth camps. Many of you will have no clue what I'm about to describe to you. But if <laughs> I remember an hour after the message ended, there's this like altar service type deal. And there's a man that was praying for people, laying hands on people. And everybody, he, he would pray very briefly. He'd just pray, pray, pray. And everybody that he'd pray for, lay hands on, they would just be touched by God. And I, I was always that person. Anybody ever, just true confession time, you leave a service and everybody's just like, man, God moved. I felt God so strong. And you're like, oh, my gosh, yeah. But you walk away and internally you're like, I didn't feel anything. And I just, there must be something wrong with me. I, as an overanalytical middle schooler and high schooler, I, I just always felt like the person that jinxed God. <laughs> I know that sounds so weird, but like people would pray and have these experiences. People pray for me. I'm like, I, nothing. I, I got nothing. And, um. And so this guy's praying for all these people. But I remember having the thought, man, if I could just get that person to pray for you. ever had that thought? If that person prays for me. And I believe, listen, I believe in the laying on of hands, but I had in my mind, if that, that person prays for me, man, something awesome is going to happen. And he's praying for all these hundreds of kids. And I sneak around in line, you know, because the, the lights are dark. And I get in line to where he'll end up praying for me. And I'm telling you before God, he's praying, praying, praying. He gets to me, puts his hand on my shoulder, stops, pulls it back, and looks at me. And then leans into my ears and says, you're never going to get into heaven. I'm just kidding. Um, he leans into my ears. <laughs> sorry, I just. Sorry. sorry. <laughs> yeah. Every once in a while, you got to enjoy those moments. Um, no. He leans into my ears and says, son, I felt like God told me that you were looking for a deeper encounter with him, but he wanted me to let you know that it's not going to be found in a person. It's going to be found in you spending time alone with him and that your source is in him, not in anybody else. And I'm telling you, that's when I had my encounter. <laughs> and I just want to tell you, God is my source. Thank God that he also uses each other, but God is my source. It goes on and running out of time, but verse 8 says, then the, then, the, when the Lord of the, then the word of the Lord came to him, go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. Are you seeing the pattern God sends him to a brook, says, I'll use the ravens. Then he sends him somewhere else and says, um, I'll, I'll use this widow. Uh, here's what I would write down if I were you. I, I know this is probably all more spiritual than it is financial, but I just think it's worth writing down. As long as Elijah flowed with God, provision flowed to Elijah. I'm telling you, this is so simple. But if you'll just keep walking with God, 
Man, I just feel like telling somebody, don't give up. Don't you dare give up. If you'll just keep walking with him, if you'll just keep trusting him, if you'll just keep walking in his ways, Jesus said, if you'll seek me first, all these other things will be added unto you. We get it backwards. We try to figure everything else out and forget that God's big enough to send ravens anywhere. But if I'll just walk with God, if I'll just abide in him, if I'll just do things his way, God can send any stupid raven he wants to. I'm telling you, he can tell that person as I'm driving across the parking lot, go take care of my servant. And God will do that with you, and he'll do that with me. You know, it's crazy. I, I was sharing this story um, with Pastor Jesse, and, and uh, we, we were talking. I, I just got so excited. I was telling him, I was like, I hope this comes out the way I want it to. And it was so cool because I don't know if he's in here, but I was, he was telling me his story about his uh, wife, Sarah, and how a few years ago she felt like God called her to go to a different school to teach. And, but it was going to be a big pay cut, and they were about to have their first son, Milo, and they're like, we can't do this. But she just really felt like God was, it was a great environment, the school, great culture, and just felt like God was calling her to it. And so she just, but she was just like, I just can't take that pay cut. I can't do it. And um, so she ended up interviewing a bunch of other places. None of it worked out. Her and Pastor Jesse prayed. Finally, she's like, I think I need to obey God in this and take a step. So she asked the school if they were still interested. They said, absolutely. The moment she took the step, and got to the school where now her best friends are and her whole life just feels like it's on top of the world as far as career and the blessings there and communities there and all that's there. But on top of that, financially, the school that she left called her as soon as she went to the new school and said, yeah, I don't know if you realize this, but you were putting money into an account that we were matching or however it worked of, uh, of savings and investment. And we're getting ready to send you a check. And wouldn't you believe it, the check was for the exact amount of the pay cut she had taken. And... And I just, look, I know not every story ends up like that. I was telling the first experience back in, I'd rather tell you all my self-deprecating stories all day, but I just know sometimes stories that God moving encourages me when I hear them. And I, again, I feel like I don't have to overemphasize that not every story wraps up like a, a cheesy Christian movie. Can I just tell you something that many of you are going to hate me for? I hate Christian movies. <laughs> They're so cheesy and crappy. I'm so sorry. I'm going to get so much hate mail for that. But, and look, if fireproof change your life, God bless you. That's awesome. <laughs> but, I mean, just come on. Um, <laughs> but anyways, for me, in December, I felt like God kept just knocking on my heart to do something. And I don't know about you. Like, if there's a door of obedience, I'd rather pray it away than walk through it sometimes. Anybody been there? Anybody ever tried to pray away obedience? <laughs> like God's telling you to do something? I mean, we're talking about finance, so let's pick on ties for a minute. I'm calling you uh, to put me first. Okay, maybe one day. God, would you please help me with my finances? <laughs> Can I tell you, you can't pray away obedience. Can I tell you, God wants you to pray, but 10 hours worth of prayer is not equal to one ounce of obedience. Um, if you tell your kids to clean their room, you'd rather them clean the room than spend 10 hours talking about what it would look like if they did clean their room. And things get quiet. Um, but I felt like God was knocking on my heart to take a step that I did not want to take. I have a conversation I did not want to take. And I, a couple of my friends even um, that are in my inner circle, they, they even encouraged me in this thing, which was a kind of confirmation, which kind of made me angry. It's like, okay, I, I need to take this step. So I I took the step of obedience, and again, 
This has never happened before. I'm not saying it would ever happen again. But literally three minutes after I took that step, um, someone had a conversation with me and said, I just feel like I'm supposed to bless you with, and I won't even say the amount of money, other than to say it was more than I used to make an entire year my first year of ministry. It was staggering. And I honestly, I don't get emotional over money stuff, but the faithfulness of God, I felt settled into that moment in that room of just God saying, I'm faithful. I had tears in my eyes. And I know it won't all work out like fireproof, but I want to tell somebody in this room, the breakthrough might just be waiting on the other side of your obedience and, you're, and you actually taking a step and you actually following through with me. Why don't you stand to your feet and I'm going to pray so I shut up. But, and you know what I love too? I wish we had time to go through the rest of this. I love when, when Elijah gets to the widow, you know he tells the, the widow? Um, he says, first make me a meal. Now, we could spend some time talking about, but first. Everybody say, but first. Isn't it crazy? This widow said, I don't really have a whole lot of money. And, and Elijah said, but first, going back to week two, you'd be surprised when you look for it, how many times the principle of first are in Scripture. How many times do we want God to work first? God is waiting for us to exercise our faith first because usually the blessing follows obedience, not I'm going to figure it all out, and then, God, I might obey you. But then what I love is, when she talks about how little she has, I mean, we could, we could do a whole nother message about, she said, look, I just have a little bit of olive oil and a little bit of bread. That's all I have. We could do a whole message about how our little and God's hands, he can multiply beyond anything we could ever ask, think, or imagine. We could talk about that. But what I love is Elijah's first words are, he says, but don't be afraid. In other words, I just want to encourage somebody that's going through a storm, or maybe you've already gone through your storm, that when God breaks through for you, it gives you a story and a platform to then turn around in the future and tell somebody else that's in the middle of the mess, don't be afraid. Listen, I know it's really hard right now. I know it's really dark right now, but let me tell you a story about a God that didn't leave me in my mess, and if he can do it for me, he can do it for you. The same God of Elijah is the same God in your story. And I want you to know today, as we wrap up this stimulus, what is a stimulus? Why would a government put a stimulus in the economy? It's a flow of money. There is a flow that God wants you to step into. In fact, I would go beyond that. Can I tell you this? God doesn't just want his people to step into flow. He wants them to step into overflow. John 10, 10 kind of life. The thief has come to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come that you might have a little bit of life in the bucket. He says, I've come that you might have life and have it so full it overflows and spills on other people. And the people around you say, I need what he's got, what she's got. I want to tell you this. God wants to, he wants you to step into overflow emotionally. I love where it says in Romans 15, 13, I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will, there's that word, overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Anybody need that today? An overflow of hope? Anybody, your, your hope tank is low. God wants you to know he can fill you to overflow. He wants, he wants to fill you spiritually. Luke, everybody has John 3.16 memorized. For God so loved the world that he came and gave his only begotten son that whosoever believed in him will have everlasting life, not perish, but in it. But I think more of us need to memorize Luke 3.16, where John says, 
I baptize you with water, but there's somebody coming after me talking about Jesus who will baptize you, not just give you a trickle. He will immerse you completely in the Holy Spirit. You know, God doesn't just want you to have a little bit measure of the Holy Spirit. He wants you overflowing with the Spirit of God. Jesus said it this way, whoever believes in me, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Not trickles, rivers of living water. And yes, I believe God even wants you to overflow financially, not a prosperity gospel. What does Malachi 3.10 says? Test me in this and see if I will not open up the storehouse to pour into you so much that you don't even have room to contain it. That's overflow. I love what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 8 9. He says, God is able to make all grace abound towards you so that in every good work you will have plenty left over to share with others. That's the overflow. God wants you overflowing. And did you know God as a church wants us to overflow? Ezekiel 47, there's this vision given to the prophet where the temple fills with a river that overflows from the temple and into the streets and the water flowing out of the temple touches and brings life to everything it comes in contact with. That is a picture of the church. That is a picture of what God is dreaming for X church, not just for people. Listen, God doesn't just want to fill this place with people. He wants to fill people with him. Our vision is not just, man, let's get a bunch of numbers, but no, every human being that comes in this place, the hope is they eventually become so full of Jesus, they overflow. And this place doesn't just overflow with people, it overflows with his presence. The people here, there is a place, I can't explain it, I don't know what all is happening there, but I can tell you this much, God's there, and life is there. And that's a picture for you and me today. Let me pray for us. God, thank you so much for your word, your presence, your power that's here. And God, I just speak healing to every brook that's dried up. I speak healing wherever there's dryness, wherever there's hurt, wherever there's disappointment. And I'm asking you, God, to overflow, to fill, to strengthen, to touch. I speak healing right now in Jesus' name. Healing, God, to every person in this room. And God, I just pray that whatever you are speaking and doing in this series and in our lives, that you would seal it now. We surrender now. We say right now, God is my source. God, we look to you today. We fix our eyes on you today. We believe that you can send the ravens anywhere, anytime. So we set our eyes off of the river that no longer flows, and we set our eyes back on the river that never stops flowing. In Jesus' name, and amen.